Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a hop, skip, and a jump across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, man? I'm, uh, I'm creating the new 629 Air Raid playbook <laughs> as we speak. Uh, I'm taking a break, obviously, to join our millions and millions of listeners, but... Uh, it's coming together, man. It's uh, the rough draft is done now. I'm just putting it into the final copy and gonna gonna roll it out there soon. Uh, so, Coach Burton coming to a clinic near you, hopefully. Well, uh, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who is a Pixar VIP this week. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, the uh, the delightful Kristen, the girl I've been uh, going with, uh, as they would have said in the 50s. Uh, she actually has a friend out in California who works uh, for Pixar, and he did quite a lot of work on the new movie Coco, and they're doing kind of some soft releases, some kind of like pre-wide release screenings uh, across various cities, and uh, Kristen's friend got us tickets to the pre-screening in Chicago for tomorrow night. That'll be fun. The movie looks fun. So Yeah, it's uh, already the number one movie in Mexico of all time. Surpassing not E2 Tom Bien, but uh surpassing the Avengers. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it already opened in Mexico. Uh yeah, well it's it's got a like, I know it's I know it's like, you know, based around uh what is it, Dia de la Morte or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. So well, um, it was a relatively calm set of games in college football this past weekend, but we're back to break it all down. So we're going to start, though, with our quick picks recap from the weekend. Uh, Josh, sorry, you only went two and three. Coach and I both went three and two. How did um, I do in the Big Ten games? Well, we had no Big Ten games on our slate this week. And that's why I've been struggling. Well, we were all on the right <laughs> side of Navy uh, in, in Notre Dame and on the right side of North Texas, thanks to Josh's strong convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Coach, you were the only one who uh, picked Texas A&M uh, over Ole Miss uh, I was the only one who picked Duke over Georgia Tech and then we were all on the, we all picked Kansas uh, at plus 37 and they lost by 38 so one point away on that one for all of us that was a little frustrating so bring us on the season though Coach, you are now at 33-26-1. and one, uh, that, was, that was still the right pick, though. I mean, like you, as close as that game was, that's still... That was absolutely the right pick. And it yeah. was, uh, when we get to talking about the Big 12, I do want to talk about Baker Mayfield for a minute. Yeah, but, yeah I, I, did, uh, I did a proxy bet, though. I had over-under one-and-a-half crotch grabs by Baker Mayfield. I took the under, so I, well, I got that one. Good work, good work. Uh, Josh, you and I are both six games back of the coach. We are both at 27-32-1 in one on the season. 
So, um, before we get to our quick slants, though, uh, just breaking aqua- across the wire, um, fired? Fired? Fire. We're just trying to win a game. Fired? Yeah, well, guess what? Uh, uh, Jim Mora is out in Westwood. He was uh, fired by Athletic Dan Guerrero today on his 52nd birthday. Happy birthday, Coach Mora. Um, so these, he is- uh, these L.A.-based teams are savage with how they fire coaches, birthday oh, gifts, yeah. leaving them at the airport. Like, oof. Yeah. So, um, put it in a gift bag. Well, um, obviously, uh, UCLA lost to USC last night, but honestly, I mean, I watched, uh, the second half of that game. I was at a wedding during the first half, but, uh, the second half of that game, I mean, UCLA played, played some of their better football of the season. It was a, uh, a pretty good effort for a team that's, you know, defense has been much maligned. Josh Rosen looked very good, but they were not, they were just not able to, um, to stop the USC rushing attack from running out the clock there in the last three minutes. Um, so Josh, I mean, I think we all sort of saw this coming. The writing was kind of on the wall there. So uh, I guess two part question, a, how will Jim Moore be remembered at UCLA and B, who do you think they go for uh, try to get as their next head coach going forward? I think the way he'll be remembered is his recruiting prowess. And in the, now two and almost a third season since Brady hoaxed it at Michigan. That's what the intellectual fans are saying. They're saying, hey, you know, Hoke, Hoke is the reason why Harbaugh had such success immediately because it wasn't a bare cupboard. If UCLA makes that right hire and they win eight, nine, ten games next season, right off the bat, I think the smart UCLA fans will, will say, hey, Mora put us in a place to succeed in terms of recruiting, just didn't get it done with in-game decisions. Uh, as for where they go, um, you know, they've had an offensive specialist and their offense has been fine, but their defense has been trash. Um, you know, I think maybe maybe they look on the defensive end, see if they can't get a head coach who can sort that side of the ball out and, and start getting them competitive on that side. Because until that defense has even a breath of life, Oof, this, this UCLA program's not going to go anywhere. What do you think, uh, Coach? Do you have any names that pop into your head for this? Because uh, I, mean, I had one that immediately came to mind for me. Um, yeah, Chip Kelly. Oh, yeah, he's not exactly a defensive guy, but he would no, be, uh, he, uh, but be a I, lot I of think, fun. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, who might draw the most interest or who might be the biggest on, on that front. Uh, I mean, that's when you ask me about that. That's the first name that comes comes to mind. Well, here's uh, one. Here's one I'll throw to you guys, Josh. I'm curious how you think about this. Rocky Long. Be a nice. You know, I, I think his age is kind of prohibitive. I think if this, if Rocky Long was having his success, he's having now 15, even a decade ago. Uh, I think that'd be a good hire, but. He's in his upper sixties. Yeah, he's sixty-seven. That's true. I guess I, th- I guess I was thinking of him as I, th- I guess I thought he was a little bit younger than that. I thought he was early sixties. Um, that's true. I didn't really, I didn't really consider that. Too, um, I too mean, much. Brian Harrison at Boise might be somebody that's ready for a pack. See, I think season. he's, I think he's a bit underwhelming as a coach, quite frankly. I, I do too, but I, I think he's got a lot of. I think he's got a tremendous reputation. Out there. Out um, what about uh, uh, who's the coach at Wyoming, Josh? 
Craig Bull Craig from uh, from North Dakota, Dakota State. State. Yeah, I think he might be an interesting guy to go for. Um, uh, he's an offensive guy though, and he's yes. uh, he's not a spring chicken either. He waited quite a while to get a uh, FBS. Job. I don't know. I guess Why I just not get I, TJ Fleck out west. Oh God, no. <laughs> uh, Dino Babers, maybe. But again, offensive guy. If they're going to go defense, you know, like I don't know. I mean, they should just go for the for the best possible candidate. I think. Uh, I mean, Chip Kelly obviously would be a would be a nice fit there in a lot of ways. He's very familiar with the Pac-12. Uh, you know, he. Hey, you know, you know, one name. There's this. There's this up and comer. He's got this, uh, this tiny program in Florida turned around. They're doing really well. They've won like eight games. They're going to win their conference. Uh, oh, what's his name? Man, it's like uh, it's like. Oh, wasn't his dad? Like, wasn't his dad like? A, wasn't his dad coaching the NFL for a long time? Yeah, it's like Sam Jiffin or something like that. It's oh no 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 it's 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 uh it's Jane Biffin. Yes, no, there we no, Thank no. You. you guys got it wrong. It's it's Wayne Giffen. <laughs> Wayne, yeah, Wayne Giffen. Yep. Wayne Giffen. Yeah, that's that's the guy. I feel like he even spent some time in Los Angeles before. Yeah. You know what? He really wasn't as atrocious as USC fans like to remember. No, he really wasn't, actually. But, you know, they, they, they needed a fall guy, and they got one there. So, I don't know. Maybe they'll, uh, or maybe they'll, maybe they'll bring over Sark from, uh, from the Falcons. Well, anything to improve the Falcons. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be uh, an interesting uh, storyline going forward. But Blake Anderson need... might, be, might be a guy. He's another offensive guy. But I'll keep throwing out these offensive guys, but that's really all there is. They're, that's really the best. I guess if Brent Venables is looking for his big break. But you would think Brent Venables would stay in the Southeast. Um, what about my, my question? Uh, what about uh, Dave Aranda from LSU's defensive coordinator? He's a California guy originally. Yeah, that could be. He'd be, a, he'd be an interesting fit. They, they kind of hoping to strike gold with kind of like what Cal did with Justin Wilcox, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a West coast defensive guy who spent some time at Wisconsin and spent some time in the SEC and done a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, David uh, Beatty might be available. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, uh, we got to keep moving on here with some quick slants. So Josh, uh, you're going to be up first. Yeah, my uh, my quick slant has to be more of a personal matter, uh, a little venting. Uh, Iowa Hawkeyes at it again. And, look, you know, Kirk Ferris has done a lot of good. He's got more over 500 seasons than under. He's taken us to a lot of bowl games, two conference titles, uh, won that huge Orange Bowl, first uh, major BCS-caliber bowl win for the program since the 50s. And he surpassed Hayden Fry as the all-time winningest coach. Need a lot more seasons to do it, but he does have that. And he's an incredibly nice guy. And he donated a lot of money to make the children's hospital. And he's a guy you want to root for. But the problem is in-game coaching decisions have gotten worse and worse. The offense has gotten worse and worse. And when Iowa was playing really well, Earlier in the 2000s, it was because the zone blocking scheme was new and they had NFL caliber linemen. Well, teams know how to stop those zone blocking, and Iowa just hasn't adjusted. We're playing 2004 football in 2017, and the results 
haven't been pretty. At one point during the Purdue game, the last 16 points Iowa had scored had all been defensive points. Uh, at one point during the Purdue game, they completed a third down conversion. That was their first third down conversion in 17 attempts. Uh, it's done. The, the offense is toast, and Kirk's not going to fire his son. He's just not. He, want, he had this dream of Brian kicking butt as the offensive coordinator and then becoming the heir apparent. But Brian hasn't kicked ass as a coordinator. He's been awful. The offense is awful. The team has totally spiraled. I wouldn't say they're awful, but uh, they're underachieving to a insane degree. And it's just done. Like, this, this team's... Not this program's not going to turn around the Kirk Ferentz. It's that obvious. They're going to have some fun days like the Ohio State game, but it's done. And what's sad for me is we're pretty much squandered the most talented linebacker Iowa has ever had in Josie Jewell. And, you know, I, if Josie cares about personal stuff like winning All-American or, or potentially winning the uh, the linebacker accolades – fine, play the Nebraska game. But I don't think Kirk will do this because he's not of that mindset. But I hope to hell Josie does not play whatever crappy bowl game Iowa goes to. Uh, he would be risking a lot of money, you know, just take one bad misstep in some terrible bowl game for him to blow out his knee and not be a first or second round pick. Uh, just, just please, Josie, on behalf of the Iowa fan base, we thank you for what you've done. Do not play some meaningless bowl game. Just sit it out. You've earned your money, good man. You, you've laid your, your heart on the line for Iowa countless Saturdays. You don't need to do it in whatever crap 13th game we play. You mean you don't think that he should, you know, really be uh, having his heart set on playing in the quick lane bowl? <laughs> no, no. And, uh, you know, I thought – I thought McCaffrey made the right decision. I think I think when you're a special talent like Josie Jewell and you're looking at first or second round money, um, just sit out. Just sit out. It's a, it's a glorified exhibition game. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I an exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coach. Well, uh, I know for your slant, you're going you're, you're gonna to give us some dogs. Yeah, as always, uh, because they weren't... Well, according to CBS, they were, um, but they weren't the best game over the weekend in that conference, of course. Um, so I'll give it to you. Uh, started sluggish. Uh, started how you probably thought they would coming off a, a complete tail kicking. Uh, took them about a quarter and a, and a touch of the second to really get woken up. Uh, Kentucky had almost a pick six on Georgia's first possession. Jake Fromm probably made one of the worst throws he's made since he took over at Georgia. Um and they kind of take advantage of it. Uh, you know, Benny Snell Jr. is is one of the top backs in, in the SEC. Uh, he's going to be a, a Sunday player for sure. He's just a sophomore. So uh, I believe he's just a sophomore. I'm going to double check that now. I'm kind of doubting myself. But he had a good day. Uh, you know, Stephen, this Kentucky team is very, very good. And people who think they're not, are misinformed or just do not watch much Kentucky football. They have a really good front seven. Uh, they have a senior-heavy offensive line. They do a lot of good things offensively. They're, they're very 
It's like a well-oiled machine. And they played a tremendous game. But Georgia, when they finally woke up, it was the Georgia team we saw prior to their matchup with Auburn. A defense that was flying around, making plays. Roquan Smith playing sideline to sideline like he does. Uh, defense making turnovers. Uh, forced, forced two big turnovers. Nick Chubb had 151 and two touchdowns, um, including one of those was a 55-yard uh, score. Sony Michelle had 87 yards, scored three, three times. Uh, and Jake Fromm had another pretty productive day, but Georgia was actually able to make a lot of hay on the ground. So that was good uh, for Georgia to really just get back to, to their identity and, and, and what they do. This is, the, this is the type of game that Georgia needed, something to kind of shake off the rust. Um, Jake Fromm was 9 of 14 for 123 yards, and that's all he needed. Um, but this was kind of game that Georgia needed to shake off the rust, get back in a groove, get ready for Georgia Tech, and get ready for the SEC championship, which is going to be the winner of the Iron Bowl. So uh, looking forward to that game this week uh, against Georgia Tech down in the uh, down in the Coke bottle, and uh, or we call it the trade school on North Avenue. <laughs> it's officially hate week. If you couldn't tell. Um, so uh, anyway, it, it was it was uh, it was pretty pretty eventful game early on, but Georgia pulled away and uh, and made it uneventful. So uh, very good to see that after after what transpired and down in Alabama last week. So uh, Georgia's back on track, and and that's all that's important, I guess, right? All right. Well, my quick slant, uh, I was going to just look at a couple of Conference USA games that I previewed because they ended up being some really good ones. Um, we're going to start in Denton, where North Texas won an absolutely wild one over the Black Knights of Army, 52-49, to 49, thanks to uh, a 39-yard field goal from Trevor Moore as time expired. Army quarterback Ahmad Bradshaw had his second 200-yard rushing game in the past three weeks. And as a team, the Black Knights ran for 534 yards on 67 carries. But it wasn't enough to compete with the passing attack of the Mean Green as sophomore quarterback Mason Fine threw for 386 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, the game was absolutely an offensive feast. The teams combined for 14 touchdowns and only three punts. Um, we had this game in our picks this past week, and like I said earlier, I am very Josh, very glad that Josh convinced me to take the mean green in this one. I was going to take Army to begin with, but uh, Josh convinced me on the mean green, and I'm glad that he did. Elsewhere in the Conference USA, Florida Atlantic took Florida International to the woodshed in a 52-24 home victory. Devin Singletary led uh, a Florida Atlantic rushing attack that went for 333 yards and three scores, and Jeff Driscoll threw for four more touchdowns for the Owls. Lane Kiffin's squad gets better and better each week. And they are, uh, they have clinched the East and are slated to play North Texas in the Conference USA title game coming up in two weeks. Uh, that one's going to be a doozy. So, uh, I've, I definitely have been enjoying myself a little Conference USA football this year. And I think that title game should be a lot of fun. So. Um, but before we get to our pop quiz, um, I want to talk about uh, something, Josh, that you texted us about earlier. And that is the fact that the, uh, FCS playoff bracket has just come out. It has. It has. Yeah. So uh, the top eight seeds in order are uh, James Madison, uh, reigning national champ, uh, number one, undefeated. North Dakota State, number two. Jacksonville State, number three. Central Arkansas, number four. South Dakota State, five. 
uh, Sam Houston State 6, Wofford 7, and Southern Utah 8. And you, know, you might be asking yourself, well, um, you know, why is uh, North Carolina A&T not in, not in the bracket? They're undefeated. They're ranked sixth in the country. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, because they won the MEAC, they are actually playing in the Celebration Bowl uh, where they will play the winner of the SWAC. And so they will not be participating in the, uh, in the FCS playoffs. So- and, uh, and, you know, the A&T Aggies, they've participated in the tournament before. They've got a great tournament. They've got a great program down there. Uh, but the MEAC and those SWAC programs, uh, they just don't quite compete as well. It, they're similar to the Sun Belt and the MAC, I would say, where uh, North Carolina A&T, uh, I believe they played in the tournament last year or the season before, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't go too well for them. And so uh, those schools get the option. In fact, I don't think the SWAC even has the option. Really, just the MEAC champion can decide if they're going to play in the tournament or the, the Celebration Bowl. And this year, A&T is going for the Black College Championship. So, awesome job for them to go undefeated. Yeah, I mean, they've had undefeated season. They can win at, win out and uh, you know and finish the season undefeated at uh, what I think will be eleven and zero or twelve and zero, and that would be great for them. But let's get back to the tournament itself. Uh, I'm a little surprised that North Dakota State uh, got the number two spot here, uh, just because you know, uh, as of. Um, uh, as of last week, at least, uh, North Dakota State uh, was only ranked sixth in the polls. Uh, so uh, to have them jump five other teams was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, but, you know, obviously they are a perennial power and do play um, in the toughest conference um, in all of FCS. Obviously, the Missouri Valley has North Dakota State, South Dakota State, a lot of these like, real powers. So, Josh, are there any games uh, in the first round that really intrigue you before uh, those eight-seeded teams will have to take on the winners of the first round? Yeah, there are. Uh, so, Stony Brook, they're 9-2. and two. Uh, They did not have to play James Madison in the Colonial, but they finished second at 7-1. and one. Uh, their only league blemish was a, a pretty solid Delaware team. Uh, they should roll right through the Mountain Hawks. Uh, Lehigh, five and six on the year, but they won their conference going five and one. Uh, nice turnaround for them, considering they started zero and five. But the the reason I'm bringing up Stony Brook is then they get to play that James Madison team, and uh, the Dukes should be able to win that game. But Stony Brook is no slouch so if you're looking for an upset special if you're looking for a reason to pick a champion other than james madison maybe you talk yourself into stony brook stunning them yeah man um you know i obviously you know one of the first things i always look for um here in the um uh, one of the things I always look for is, you know, where's New Hampshire playing? Because they're usually in the tournament. And they get Central Connecticut State uh, in their first-round matchup. And I think they should, you know, they, they should freaking wax the floor with them. And then they will uh, be set up to play Central Arkansas. And I think that's going to be a really good matchup in the second round because both those teams uh, can really score the ball and uh, move the ball on the ground. So I think that'll, that'll be a really, really nice matchup. I also like uh, the fact that the Elon versus Furman winner is going to play Wofford. That's all sort of a very regional matchup, and I think that'll be a lot of fun as well. So. Yeah, if you're looking for an under-the-radar champion – um, the eighth seed Southern Utah Thunderbirds, uh, they beat 
the snot out of a very good Eastern Washington team in their Big Sky Conference. Yeah, Eastern Washington did not even make the tournament. Yeah, they beat another playoff team, uh, Weber State. Mm -hmm. Uh, They beat them 32-16 on the road, beat the snot out of them. And then Northern Arizona, another team that made the tournament, beat them 48-20. And that was their last game out. In fact, their last three games, Southern Utah has beaten all those opponents by putting up 47, 47, and 48 points. The offense is rolling. Uh, They get Weber State or Western Illinois. I think Uh, that might be the best first-round matchup right there. Agreed. Agreed. Those are are two of the top non-seeded teams. Agreed. But the problem is they're going to beat the – crap out of each other. The Weber State Western winner will have had an absolute battle on their hands, which sets up nicely for Southern Utah. Um, And then they get James Madison. But again, like I said, there's an outside chance Stony Brook stuns James Madison. It's not a great chance. But if you're Southern Utah and you get to potentially play Stony Brook at home in that next game, before the semifinals, the, your quarterfinal game is unseated Stony Brook potentially. It unfolds nicely for Southern Utah if you're looking for an off the reservation championship team. Yeah, and it, and it wouldn't be unprecedented. Youngstown State didn't even make the tournament this year. They're the defending runners up. Sometimes teams get really hot and they come out of nowhere. And I'm looking at Weaver's or I'm looking at Southern Utah. They're coming in hot. Uh, another little bit of an upset. Special, got to be a, a tad homer. Uh, Northern Iowa, just seven and four yeah. overall, just seven and four overall, but they went six and two in the best conference. Uh, their losses this year, Iowa State, who's turned out to be pretty good. That Southern Utah team, I just talked about being really good. Mm-hmm. Western Illinois, who's a playoff team, and North Dakota State, who's the perennial power. They have no clunkers. They finished. The season five and one with their one loss at the Fargo Dome. They're coming in hot. Uh, they just beat Missouri State on the road nicely. Uh, they beat South Dakota at home by five. Tight game, but South Dakota's in the tournament. Uh, and then they finished up against Featherweight Indiana State, blowing them out. The Panthers are coming in hot. They play Monmouth at home. Uh, Monmouth is nine and two, but they're from the Big South. It's not quite as good a conference, um, so there's a chance Northern Iowa gets a gets a nice road or gets a nice home win, I should say, uh, before moving on in the tournament uh, to play South Dakota State. Jackrabbits are are a nice team, but they're only the five seed. If if you're looking for uh, beyond off the reservation, that's my South Utah team, other Utah team. But if you're looking for a total like Rip Van Winkle sleeper, maybe this Northern Iowa team is, is coming in hot. If you're yeah. looking for a Rip Van Winkle, <laughs> why don't you look at the team that beat Monmouth in the Big South Conference Championship game? That would be the Owls of Kennesaw State yeah. featuring – they are an offset of the Paul Johnson triple option system. Brian Bohan and the head coach up there is a Paul Johnson disciple. Uh, they do a lot of things really well. I know their offensive coordinator personally, met him at a clinic, um, tried to get him to recruit one of our big offensive linemen before he actually turned in his pads after our 
after our second scrimmage decided his heart was not in it, although he could have gotten a, although he could have gotten many FCS offers from a lot of Ohio Valley Conference teams and a couple Southern Conference teams were, were interested in him. But anyway, Kennesaw State, uh, their first round matchup against the air raid attack of Sanford, the Sanford Bulldogs. Jacksonville State awaits that game. That'll be that'll be uh, a good contest there. Kennesaw State could could make some moves. They're playing. They're hot right now. Furman, a team that barely got in, they take on uh, Elon for a chance to get whooped by by Wofford, and ultimately <laughs> a chance to get whooped by uh, North Dakota State in that in that bracket as well. Uh, Central Arkansas, they do a lot of good things there too. Um, so I like them. Northern Iowa, again, I agree with you, is a is a pretty good sleeper. They've always got a really solid team uh, and a team that could make noise if uh, if conditions are right. And I kind of like where they're. I kind of like their bracket. I kind of like uh, that. There's no power. There's no overall powerhouse. I don't believe in that bracket. Or if, if you want to, if you want to work hard at trying to convince me that there's a powerhouse in that side of the bracket. Uh, this is probably set up best for Northern Iowa if they get hot to make a run. Um, probably the hardest bracket would be the James Madison Southern Utah bracket. Uh, two teams, Southern Utah, an eight seed somehow, uh, but that'll be a really tough bracket to get out of. And of course, uh, you know, you've got Sam Houston State sitting there um, as a six seed. They're, they're, used to, uh, they're used to being up there in the championships there. North Dakota State coming in as, as a two seed. But uh, I think your bracket of death is the James Madison bracket. I do ultimately think James Madison will come out of that. If I'm predicting, I'm going to go ahead and make a bold prediction here. I'll predict all the way out to the final four. I'm not going to predict every round, but I'm going to predict that James Madison, I will say Northern Iowa, I'm going to say North Dakota State, mm. and I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Kennesaw State makes a run to the quarterfinals but ultimately lose to Sam Houston State. All right, so you've got so uh, JMU, Sam Houston, Northern Iowa, and North Dakota for you, Coach. Uh, Josh, yeah. give us your, give us your final four. All right, before I get my final four, just real quick, I want to give a shout to Central Connecticut State. Uh, the NEC is not a very strong football program conference-wise, so they'll uh, it will probably have a very short trip. But they've won. Uh, they started out zero and three, and finished eight and three. Uh, awesome job for them to, to turn around, especially those three losses. Uh, two of them were by about 50 points. So they, they turn it around nicely. Uh, Central Arkansas, awesome story. Coach mentioned them. Uh, talk about hot streaks. They started out 0-1, lost at the Little Apple, and then they run out 10 straight. They beat a very good Sam Houston team. They beat a very solid uh, McNeese State team. Uh, they beat – you know, pretty much everyone. The only team they didn't play uh, is that is the uh, Nickel State team that also made the playoffs from that stack Southland Conference. Uh, Jacksonville State, likewise, they uh, they lost an early game to Georgia Tech, but won their last nine games to finish ten and one. Uh, but my final four, I mean that. The James Madison teams, they're, they're a machine. They're a machine. And as much as I really want to take Southern Utah to put a run together, uh, James Madison is the machine. I got them ultimately winning that region of death. Uh, I like that Central Arkansas team. As much as I want to be a homer and take Northern Iowa as the sleeper team, I'm going to go Central Arkansas. They, they played a stacked conference. I think it sets up nicely with them to take on either New Hampshire 
or Central Connecticut uh, in their first game. I think that's a nice, soft opponent. All due respect to your New Hampshire team, Matt. Uh, but I got Central Arkansas. Then the other side of the bracket, Jacksonville State, Sam Houston State. That is a toss-up game. That's going to be a fun one. But I'm going to go with Jacksonville State. And then finally, North Dakota State Wofford. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. It's, you know, it's North Dakota State. Do you ever bet against them? But that would be chalk. If I pick North Dakota State, it's chalk, gentlemen. This tournament rarely goes chalk. I'm going to say those Wofford Terriers. Ooh. So right. I, yeah, so I got, I got one, four, three, seven. And my champion is going to be James Madison over Wofford. Jamie, overall, well, when we get to the final four, we'll, we will redo our, uh, we'll we'll we'll, re- we'll redo our, our picks there. Um, for my final four, um, I'm I'm with you guys on James Madison. They are absolutely a machine. One of the best offenses and the number uh, one total defense in FCS. Um, Josh, I like that you take Central Arkansas because I'm going complete homer here. I'm going University of New Hampshire to come uh, to come out to come out of there uh, to come out of, uh, of that quarter of the bracket. I think uh, that, that feels like the most wide open. Um, as yeah. good as as good as Central and South Dakota have been, uh, they're just not quite the dominant dominant programs of the other regions. No, absolutely not. I, I think you could actually make a pretty strong case that South Dakota State and Central Arkansas are should be the number seven and eight seeds because yeah. I think the, I think the other six are definitely mostly for the most part stronger than them. Um, I'm I'm taking Jacksonville State. They have the number two total defense in FCS and a great rushing attack and uh, they, they'll play ball control all day. The only thing that worries me if they uh, I think they will end up playing Kennesaw State there in the second round and Kennesaw State is number one in the country in turnover margin. They're better than plus two per game. If Kennesaw State can, you know, for, force a couple fumbles from Jacksonville State and capitalize on those, that would give me a little bit of pause. Uh, but I will continue to take Jacksonville State there. And picking against North Dakota State, it's like picking against Alabama. Um, and I just <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. So um, my, my final four, James Madison, UNH, Jacksonville State, North Dakota State. Um, so we will be uh, keeping up uh, with that as we go along over the next few weeks. So, um, But now uh, it's time for us uh, to hit the pop quiz. So, all right, uh, get out your pencils, papers, graphing calculators, and slide rule. Um, <laughs> so uh, yesterday, David Shaw became the winningest head coach in the history of Stanford, getting his 72nd career victory over Cal in the game. Gentlemen, there are eight other current coaches who are also their school's all-time winningest head coach. Mm. Name the eight coaches, beginning with you, Josh. Uh, well, I got a freebie. I mentioned him earlier in the show. Correct? That's actually that's actually incorrect. What? He's about to be. Uh, well, he's not because Hayden Fry still has two more victory. Okay. Hayden, Hayden Fry is in his career at Iowa, 143, 89, and 6. Kirk Ferentz, 141, and 97. Yeah, but Kirk Ferentz is going to have 15 more years to collect two wins. I said currently. Okay, fine. All right. <laughs> Coach. Got me on a, a good technicality. Fine. So, so there are eight coaches that are currently – Currently, they're their school's all-time leader in wins. So, and they and they're is their alma mater. 
No, no, no. It doesn't have to be their alma mater, just the, where they're coaching right now. Oh. Oh, okay. Active coaches. All right. Active coaches. Uh, well, uh, it can't be Nick Saban because Bear Bryant was there for like 38 years. Uh, <laughs> hmm. That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to say that. Damn. I'm, uh, I'm, at, I'm at a loss here. I'm drawing a blank every every school I'm thinking about. Urban Meyer? Nope. Uh, Woody Hayes is the all-time leader at Ohio State. Hmm. All right. You both hmm. uh, both have a strike, hmm. Josh. All right. Yeah, I'm trying to think conference by conference. Yeah, this like, is a little, this is a little, little, little bit yeah. tougher than some of the ones that I've come up with. But I thought it was I, – when I heard that uh, on SportsCenter last night, I was like, oh, that sounds like a perfect topic for a pop quiz. Hmm. So I've been thinking like conference by conference, and there's only one name that's even got potential because all the other coaches haven't been there very long. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with Kenny Amatololo. That is correct. Kenny Amatololo yes. at Navy. Yes. Nice. So we're going we're gonna to ignore the rest of the, the American then, Coach. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you? Uh, I would guess so, considering Cincinnati is a first-year coach – uh, ooh, I forgot. Randy's back at Connecticut. Ooh, crap. Randy Etzel. <laughs> Randy Etzel's correct. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Deal. Nice. <laughs> or you guys, ha- you guys have now gotten the two coaches from the uh, yeah. from the American. <laughs> All right. So in the ACC, in the ACC, I'll give you uh, a hint. There are no ACC coaches on this list. All right, good. Because I was going to say uh, the only candidate is. Uh, Paul Johnson and George, he's still not past George yeah. Hill, probably. No, he's yeah. still not. No, and he's not even close to Bobby Dodd. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby right. Dodd well, is good. way ahead of everyone at Georgia. That's Tech. good. That's good. All right. So then, when I think about the Big Twelve, it obviously can't be Matt Rule. Matt Campbell's only in his second year. David Beatty's won about one game. Uh, Lincoln Riley's in his first year. So that leaves uh, Herman's in his first year. Kingsbury hasn't won enough to pass the Pirate. I uh, highly doubt Dana Holgerson. I don't know West Virginia history very well, but Dana Holgerson doesn't seem very likely. So that, that leaves some candidates, and I'm going to go with Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder's correct. Okay. All right. Let's, let's take a look at the Pac-12. Jim Moore just got fired, so it's not <laughs> Clay Helton can't be Clay Helton because uh, he hadn't been around long enough to pass even Pete Carroll. Um, can't be Willie Taggart. He's been there a year. Uh, can't be Chris Peterson. Or can it? <laughs> I'll come back to that. Uh, Gary Anderson, he gone. And their interim coach has been there for four games, so can't be him. Well, uh, I mean, Oregon State football is pretty bad. It- <laughs> that's true. Mike Riley was there long enough, though, I think, to, uh, <laughs> to have won more than the zero games that their current interim has. Uh, can't, can't be Justin Wilcox. Um, He's only been there for uh, not even a full season yet. Um, Clay uh, Clay Helton. Uh, I already said that. Um, the Bluetooth. Eh. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with my Pac-12 guess of actually no I'm gonna go I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast forward to the SEC. Dan Mullen has, has he passed Jackie Sherrill? He is not. Is Jackie Sherrill the all-time winningest coach at Mississippi State? Um, I believe so. Okay, that was a good guess. So I, I identified three potential candidates in the Big 12. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to stay there. Yep. It's a good place to be. I'm going to go with Gundy. Mike 
Gundy. Mike Gundy is correct. Yes. How did I not think of Mike Gundy? I don't know. There's still one more in the pack in the in the uh, Big Twelve though. Hmm. Okay. So it's not it's none of the Texas schools. Um, that really that really only leaves Mike McIntyre. Mike McIntyre at Colorado. Uh, they had a, they had a coach win na- a national title in like 1990. Yeah, no, sorry, there are no Pac-12 school. There, there's no uh, coaches from Pac-12 school in this one. Oh, right. you, know, you know what? I'm thinking. Oh crap! Never mind. <laughs> Colorado used to be in the Big 12. Uh, I'm going to go with Gary Patterson. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, I, for, I, I I was totally going old school there. My mind was like way back in the, you know, <laughs> back before TCU joined and back before Colorado left. Yeah. Uh, so how many of the eight have we done, Matt? Sorry, it's, a, it's actually nine. Um, I had forgotten to write Gundy down on my list. So it's actually nine. Nice. So we've got Edsel, Niamatololo, Patterson, Gundy, Snyder. We still okay. have four left. Four uh, left? Four left. Right. One, so uh, do you want me to give you the conferences or not? I think that might be up. No, I, I, think I, can, I think I can figure it out. Okay, so the Big Ten. Uh, uh, okay, here, here's, what, here's what I'll the, say. The Big Ten only has one candidate because everyone else hasn't been to their school long enough. It, it's either Pat Fitzgerald or no one. It's Pat Fitzgerald. Okay, because Mark D'Antonio, as, as awesome as he has been, he hasn't passed Duffy Doherty as far he as I not. know, right? He yeah. has not. Uh, Conference USA has a whole bunch of brand new coaches, so I don't think anyone from there. Uh, well, it's coach's turn anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, Matt. And <laughs> I uh, assume coach had already been eliminated because he's had like eight strikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the weirdest game show ever. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so dumb. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Um. I can't even think of the guy. I'm, I'm like, my mind is in left field today as far as. <laughs> okay, so we now have three. Give me a co- conference. Uh, we have three, three coaches left. Two in Conference USA and one in the Sun Belt. There's two in Conference USA. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. One in the Sun Belt. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take. I'm going to give you guys a hint. Think of young programs that haven't had a lot of coaches. Uh, okay. All right. Oh. Oh. Okay. Um, Sunbelt. You guys might not even know, know the names of some of these coaches. Well, I would guess the Old Dominion coach, then. That is correct, Bobby Wilder. Okay. Yeah, that's that's Sunbelt. That's the conference. CUSA. <laughs> yep, th- that is Conference USA. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> what am I taking today, Coach? I think uh, we're, you've been eliminated from the game show, <laughs> Josh. Uh, two more coaches. I'm thinking about uh, the One UAB, the, the UAB guy. Uh, no, not not UAB, but you were in the right state. Uh, the South Alabama coach. Yes, Joey Jones, the only coach in the history of the school. Okay, so who's the other conference USA coach? Oh, Rock's, Rick Sassel. Nope, Rick Sassel's number two at MTSU. Oh, um, God. Ooh, Doc Holliday. Nope. Wow. The answer is Brad Lambert at Charlotte. 
Oh, they're like winless this year. It doesn't matter. He's still the winningest coach in the history of the program. They just established football like four years ago. Exactly. They they, they, they established football in 2011. That's well, like Kennesaw State's all-time winningest coach is currently there. His name's Brian Bohannon. Yeah. So those are those are your nine. So, uh, so well done, Josh. Not as well done, Coach. Um, I, know. I don't want to take my progress report home today. <laughs> yes, uh, Coach. Sorry. I think the the Colorado coach that I couldn't remember, but uh, the the immortal Bill McCartney. Oh, of yeah. course. I knew course. there was a Mac somewhere. Yeah. I knew so, it, I knew it was a Mac. Uh, but he did not coach in the Mac. All right. Well, time to hit some deep roots, guys. Uh, We're going to start with the group of five. Uh, probably the biggest game in the group of five this weekend was uh, from the American Conference when Memphis uh, took out SMU uh, by a final score of 66 to 45. Uh, Memphis keeps on rolling, keeps on putting up big points. And Josh, I guess the question sort of has to be now, how long does, is Mike Norvell going to be there? Mm, that's a that's a good question. You know, I, I think it I think it honestly depends on what bowl game Memphis gets to. Because if he gets to a like New Year's six bowl game, we saw uh the Houston coach who's now at Tom Herman. Yeah, we saw Tom Herman stick around an extra year after making a big bowl game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I know that's not foolproof because P.J. Fleck left after the Cotton Bowl, uh, but he had been at Western Michigan much longer. I just think it's really hard to leave. It it shifts things so much if he's in one of those New Year's Six Bowl games. I think it shifts the timeline of everything. And I I just think it's hard to quit on your team if he's playing in one of those big bowl games. And you know Uh, that because Memphis will get to avenge their one loss of the season in the American title game when they play UCF. Yeah. So, uh, Coach, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's going to be like because you're going to have Tennessee who's sitting there who I think is going to go through about three coaches that are going to turn them down, and they're going to get to Mike Norvell. And then they're going to offer Mike Norvell a ton of money. They're going to be sitting there, not in the bowl game, and I, I think it's going to be real tempting for him to want to leave. And they're going to try everything they can. But here's what's going to happen. Here's the scenario that's going to happen. It's going to be exactly what Kirby Smart did. It's going to be exactly what a lot of these coaches do that, that make these transitions that decide to coach in their bowl game. He will, he will probably – this will probably be the most sleepless, depending on which bowl it is and depending on how much time there is between. It will be the most sleepless – three weeks to, to, to four weeks of, of his life because he's going to pull double duty. He's going to do, he's going to get ready. He's going to do, he'll probably delegate a lot of his game planning to his assistants and he's going to be focusing on hiring coaches, recruiting and making sure that his new destination, uh, wherever it is, uh, I say Tennessee, but, uh, and I think if he lands at UT, I think it's going to be, that's going to be a, a really good home run hire for them. Uh, and he's going to do a tremendous job and he's going to be filling, fulfilling all of his responsibilities as Tennessee's head coach. And will be able to coach one last game in his bowl game. So I hope that he gets a chance to do that. Not all uh, situations are like that. 
I wouldn't be shocked one bit if this last game was the was the American title game. Uh, wouldn't be wouldn't be shocked one bit. But also wouldn't be shocked if he if he stuck around for the bowl and joined. I think it's one thing to pull double duty when you're moving from coordinator to head coach, though. When you're moving from head coach to head coach, I don't think you can do that. I don't he's think gonna, that. he's gonna try. He's gonna try. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember a single case of that ever happening, though. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing when you're like defensive coordinator. Uh, and then moving, you know, like you were, like you mentioned um, in the case of Kirby. But I, I just, I can't foresee that happening. Uh, elsewhere, though, in well, the... Can I just, like, run something by you guys? Just yeah. real quick that I looked up. So Mike Norvell is getting paid $1.8 million right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Fuente is at three point two at mm-hmm. Virginia Tech. His predecessor from, from Memphis. Yeah, but Jones is at 4.11. So he would get quite a salary bump if he were to leave. But, and here's the caveat that I want to make. Tubby Smith, the Memphis basketball coach, he's making over three mil. So Memphis isn't afraid to pay coaches. Memphis is by far the best program in the state of Tennessee. The Vols are going to be crap for a while. Vanderbilt is never good. Middle Tennessee State's in Conference USA. He might be able to build something at Memphis. Do you think if Memphis can find a way to get him to what Tubby Smith is being paid, like three mil per, so he's not that far behind Justin Fuente at Power 5 school, do you think that's enough for him to stick around and say, I've got something brewing here at Memphis? Well, the other thing about that is that he's an Arkansas native. Memphis is very close to the state of Arkansas. You know, so he he is sort of very much in his home, you know, in, in his, you know, near his childhood home. He went to central Arkansas. Like, um, I think he could actually be a candidate for the Arkansas job um, when and if Burt Bielema is fired. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a matter of when and, and we'll get to why later. But uh, I, I think it's going to be Arkansas, if I'm going to fast forward to our Black Monday uh, episode, I think uh, Arkansas is going to be – they're going to offer – they're going to go hard after Gus Malzahn and try to get Gus Malzahn. Oh, yeah, of course. And if not, I think Mike Norville's next on their list. And they will try to outbid Tennessee if Tennessee makes it that far. Uh, there's a lot of predictions on where I think guys are going to go. I think Tennessee ought to, ought to offer Dan Mullen. I think that's where, that's where Dan Mullen's going to end up, I believe. All right. Well, um, elsewhere in, in uh, the group of five, UCF, uh, so a lot of people thought that, you know, this game at Temple might be a bit of a trap game. Not so much. They beat Temple by 26, uh, final score 45 to 19. And out in the Mountain West, uh, Fresno State continues their resurgent season uh, this week, winning at Wyoming in a very low scoring affair, 13 to seven. Um, and they, Fresno State, uh, in their first year, um, under their new head coach, uh, are headed to uh, the Mountain West title game. So kudos to them. Josh, any thoughts on either of these games? Yeah, I think some people might say, oh, Wyoming didn't have Allen. So, oh, of course they were held to seven points. But that would be doing Fresno uh, quite the disservice. They are currently sitting at 12th in the nation and scoring defense, allowing just 17.3. Tedford's known for being an offensive guy. The Fresno offense has had its flashes. He hasn't fully gotten them looking like some of his teams at Cal. The reason for the turnaround has been a super stingy defense. And I don't love their chances against Boise State, but it's an awesome story. 
And with that defense, it's hard to count them out. That's how good their defense has been. It's shades of Wisconsin and Michigan in teams of, if that defense is on point, they can hang against anybody, Boise State included. Now, does that give Jeff Tedford a shot at UCLA? Well, but he, no, it's his first year at Fresno State. Oh. I don't think he's going to leave. I, it's, I, his, I, it's his I, own it's his alma mater. I, I, think, I think this is sort of the last stop at the end of the road for Tedford. I think this is his job until he retires, basically, at this point. I don't, think he, I don't, I don't feel like he's the kind of guy that has that itch to really go, to, you know, just jump right back into the Pac-12 after, you I, know. I think that's such a tough sell for Bruin fans, too. I mean, he did a lot of nice stuff at, at Cal, but. It's not like he, he was like, he, he, was like barely, he was a world beater. Yeah, he was barely over 500 in the conference and uh, since winning the conference title in 2006 uh, he had multiple he had more under 500 than above 500 seasons in league play that, that's a tough sell for that Bruins fans to bring yeah, I don't I don't I don't feel like he's that uh, I would say if I would say if Tedford had the itch of getting back in the back 12 Oregon State would be more likely yeah that's true I mean yeah you never know. A little less less expectations, but I don't feel like he's, don't he's not he going to run out on his alma mater no. after one season. That's no, just does. not going to happen. So um, anyway, let's move on to the to the ACC, um, where Miami struggled with Virginia for three quarters before finally uh, putting the smackdowns, going the last thirty points of the game on route to a forty four twenty eight victory. Kurt Benkert though for UVA, man, he had himself a day. 28 for 37, 384 yards and four scores, and he was lighting up the Canes, especially in the first half. So yeah, he couldn't miss in the first half. I, I watched the first half of this game before uh, before finding uh, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and, and uh, checking in on Wisconsin. And I'm telling you, he there was one throw in particular he made where he got crushed by two defenders, and somehow he made he, somehow he got the ball out there on a slant route and uh, hit the guy right in stride. Got, got demolished, and then got up next play and threw a touchdown pass. So, uh, I mean, this team, this this Virginia team, they're six and five. You know, you look at the score and like, well, you know, they were, you know, they were lucky to be in it. But no, they, I mean, they. That's a different Virginia team that, that I've seen in years past. I mean, this is this is a team that is definitely buying what Bronco Mendenhall is selling, and it's it's going to be a team that's going to make the ACC a lot more competitive. And I think Bronco Mendenhall is doing a good job. I said it when he got hired that they were going to need to have some patience with him. They did. And he's got them right there on the cusp of making a bowl. Uh, and I think actually. No, I, I Virginia is already, is already bowl eligible. They're the six bowl, and five. Yeah, they're six and five. So, um, so yeah, they, uh, no matter what happens, they're, they're, in, they're in a bowl. They could make a better bowl if they win this next weekend. But um it's I love their chances next weekend. Virginia Tech, since getting eliminated, has kind of been sleepwalking through their games, and they had another pretty uh, tepid performance at home against a bad Pittsburgh team. Yeah, they really did. And I really uh, like Ben Kurt. I, I really like him. As, I've, I've watched him uh, extensively a couple times and uh, a couple of series here and there otherwise. And every time I've seen him, he's been – He's been impressive. He's been calm and cool in the pocket. Yeah, he's, he's very poised. He's very poised. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's extremely accurate. And it just seems like you just watch the guys around him and they, they just follow, they gravitate towards him. But uh, this Kane team finally woke up. Uh, they finally started 
playing defense like they know how to play defense. The turnover chain came back out. Uh, Malik Rozier, um, he had a really good second half in Miami. Beat a good Virginia team. A very Definitely. underrated Virginia team. Definitely. Um, elsewhere in the ACC, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Duke uh, ended up beating Virginia Tech. Uh, beat the stuffing out of them. 43 to 20. Yeah, absolutely. After sort of a, a bit of a back and forth first quarter, man, those last, Duke puts up 40 points in the last three quarters and just absolutely takes them to the woodshed. Um, Virginia Tech, like Josh mentioned, you know, struggled, but finally ended up beating Pitt 20 to 14. And Wake Forest, um, probably with one of the bigger upsets of the day, uh, ends up beating North Carolina State 30 to 24. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Finley put up 327 yards in the air for NC State, but it took him 52 attempts to do so. And since I wish I, I, wish I would have came to this game sooner. I was watching, uh, I was watching the USC game. I wish I'd have came to this game sooner. This game was, uh, I watched like the last few plays. This game was exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I think that you know we've definitely seen North Carolina State fall off a little bit uh, ever since uh, they lost uh, a couple weeks back to Notre Dame. They've lost three of their last four now and barely beat BC last week, 17 to 14. Um, this is a team that looks great. They, at one point they won, you know, six in a row after losing their opening game to South Carolina, but it has been, uh, it, it's been a slog the last few weeks. And I'm not, yeah, I mean, I mean, the NC state Wake Forest game is a classic example it, you know, if you wanted to put this in the textbook of football, you could of how goofy this sport can honestly be. First downs, NC State twenty-eight to eighteen. Third down efficiency, NC State fourteen to twenty-three. Wake three of eleven. Total yards five hundred two for the Wolfpack, three thirty-four for the Deacons. Uh, almost a hundred more passing yards. Uh, almost a hundred more rushing yards. Penalties were about the same. Time of possession, NC State, 41 minutes, 7 seconds. That means 18.53 for Wake. Total domination, but Wake 1 on the scoreboard and Wake 1 plus 2 in turnover margin. Uh, Football is just a fluky sport sometimes, and this game game was another example of that. Hats off to Wake for finding a way to be dominated in literally every statistical measure but 2, and the most important one was the score, and that's what Wake won. Yeah, that's all that really matters. At the so, end of the day, <laughs> all, all of the Southern scoreboard is all that matters. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's head over then uh, to uh, the defense optional conference, the Big 12. Um, <laughs> you know, n- uh, there's you know only one game really ended up mattering this, this past weekend. Uh, that's Kansas State beating Oklahoma State in Stillwater, 45-40, uh, knocking – uh, off any last chance Oklahoma State had for playing in the Big 12 title game. Um, this one definitely took me by surprise, Josh. What about you? Oh, I, I was kind of stunned. Um, you know, you kind of expect Bill Snyder to pull a rabbit out of his hat at some point, and we, we should have known. You know, they lost to Oklahoma by a touchdown. They lost to a nice, improving, uh, bull-bound Texas team in Austin by just six points. And it, it was just a matter of time. And it's it's probably going to be the most Kansas State thing ever. They'll then blow out Iowa State in a week to go seven and five. And then they'll probably get some poor team, probably Iowa, knowing how Bill Snyder operates. Kansas State will then blow out some of their bolts game, finish strong. We won't know how they do it. 
did it. It defies reason for this team to look so lethargic at times. Uh, but they they always do it. Like I said, Bill Snyder always has a rabbit that he pulls out of his hat, and it's just a matter of identifying which opponent is going to be against. And this time in the Big 12 roulette, it was against Oklahoma State. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Uh, Coach, you got any thoughts here on this one? Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it looked like a track meet. I, I didn't watch much of it. I'll, I'll be quite honest. But you know, you look at the stats: thirty-two of fifty-three, four twenty-five, and three touchdowns. If you just kind of look at Oklahoma State's stats without really looking at the game and see Mason Rudolph throw for over four hundred yards, you would think, oh, they won big, they rolled. But that's certainly not the case, and. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State just showing that they can't get it done on the defensive side of the ball, and the defense let them down yet again. Yeah, well, elsewhere in the Big 12, uh, TCU ends up just absolutely rolling Texas Tech 27-3 out there in Lubbock. Um, Texas puts, pulls off a bit of a, an upset uh, in West Virginia, 28-14. Um, Iowa State dispatched the team that shall not be named, 23-13. And finally, Oklahoma beats Kansas 41-3. to uh, But the story coming out of this game, obviously, <laughs> was uh, not the fact that Oklahoma covered by one point, but the fact that uh, Oklahoma quarterback Mason – Mason Rudolph. Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield uh, showed his true colors yet again. Um, um, in grabbing his male genitalia, uh, <laughs> some of the words that he had for Kansas fans, all seven of them that were there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've never been a big fan of Baker Mayfield, but this one made me like him even less. Maybe it's because I have a very soft spot for Kansas football. But Kansas obviously was idiotic and not shaking his hand before the game. I don't know why they thought that was a, why they thought that was a good idea to, you know, not just do the customary, you know, captain's handshake. But it was uh, the way that Mayfield reacted uh, to that later during the game was uh, juvenile, quite frankly. And I don't know, Josh, do you have any sort of thoughts here on that? Yeah, I mean, I. I don't want to be the old man of like, oh, play with dignity, because I send you guys hilarious 1980s gifts of Miami football players celebrating all the time. I love that stuff. Like, uh, I wish players would spike the ball. I wish they still allowed the high stepping. Like, I love some of that stuff, but this was just uh, obscene and unnecessary against the one of the worst teams in college football. And it wasn't even like, funny celebrating stuff. It wasn't like what, you know, to steal a thing from Miami during the Cotton Bowl when the kid ran up the tunnel and was doing the, like, cowboy gun thing. Like, that's funny. That's rubbing it in and being funny. This is just being an asshole. That's all it is. He's an asshole. And it's got shades of Johnny Manziel, which uh, means enjoy playing for the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, and being an afterthought. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, he's his immaturity is not going to bode well for him in the uh, in the NFL. It's going to take he's going to do a lot of growing up between now and then. Uh, he's definitely talented enough to play in the NFL, maybe. But uh, it's just okay. So what? They didn't just they they didn't shake your hands. Oh, boo hoo! You know, you don't don't go out and do stuff like that. It's it's okay to talk. It's okay to talk crap to the fans that are that are giving you a hard time. It's okay to talk crap between the players. That happens. Again, I'm gonna agree with Josh on here. 
do a do a crazy celebration, do a funny celebration with your teammates to quote rub it in. But don't do don't do that stuff, man. Don't, I mean, there, there's no there's no need for all that stuff. I mean, it's a it's a fun family sport, really. I mean, there's there's viewers out there that are enjoying the game with their kids, and they see that, and now their kids are going to go out and think that's okay, which is not. You know, I think there should be a level of fun, but you got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, just to tie a bow on the the. Big 12 for me, at least, the thing that I noticed. Texas Tech losing again. Uh, I, I think if he was at any other school than his alma mater, Cliff Kingsbury would have already been fired, and he'd probably have the hottest seat in the country. You know, he's now 29-32, and 15-30, and 30, boys and girls, in the conference. Uh, they're 2-6 and six right now. If they don't win their final game, they won't even be able to match last year's 3-6. and six. In conference, uh, looking at his second two and seven finish in the league in his career, uh, I think even at his alma mater, it's getting harder and harder to justify keeping Cliff Kingsbury around. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have a weird soft spot for Cliff Kingsbury. Not entirely sure why, but it, 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 the writing may be on the wall there. Yeah. So, anyway, let's head to the Big Ten, where uh, the game of the day, not just in the Big Ten, but in all of college football, was in Madison, uh, where the hometown Badgers were able to dispatch uh, Michigan 24-10. to They struggled, uh, especially in the first half, moving the ball against the Michigan defense. but uh, And then they went down 10-7 uh, about midway through the third quarter. But after that, uh, Alex Hornibrook woke up. Uh, through a couple of his best passes of the season and the Badgers went on to win, uh, scoring the last 17 points of the game. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, another game, another 132 yards, um, didn't score a touchdown, but, uh, the Badger defense again was, uh, was outstanding. Uh, they limited, uh, Michigan, uh, to a total of, um, 234 yards, uh, 176 through the air, and only 58 on the ground. So Michigan is a team that is really forced to run a lot because of their ineptitude at the quarterback position. And that was on display again, especially because uh, Brandon Peters went out with a concussion uh, in the third quarter, and they had to bring John Acorn back in. And that's never a good sign when John Acorn has to come in. So, um, Josh, uh, what were your thoughts here on the Badgers' victory? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've got to admit, I was getting super nervous. When it yeah, was, I was too. I mean, you and I were texting throughout the Yeah, when, it, when I was 10 to 7. Uh, but this Wisconsin team, I guess they're just making an art form out of these slow starts and physically bruising teams and being able to kind of just pull away physically and, and, and wear the team out. Uh, I guess the one concern I'd be I'd have is if, it, if it's 10 to 9 in the fourth quarter, or 10 to 7 in the fourth quarter, then I'm going to be, like, having a heart attack. Or the other concern is what happens if their defense has a rare game of struggling? You know, what happens if in the Big 12 or the Big 10 title game, Ohio State jumps out to, like, a 21 to 6 halftime lead? I, I don't see them coming back from it. They're, they're playing with fire. They could do it against Michigan – who doesn't have a great offense. They can do it against Iowa, who has a pathetic offense. Um, but I really, really want to see this team find some ways to score points in the first half. Well, uh, they did it through special teams. Nick Nelson, 50-yard punt return. 
Uh, first punt return touchdown, Matt, I believe, and you can help me out here, since 2007? For the Badgers? Yeah. Uh, since, 2000, since 2012, Kenzel Doe. That's right. Okay, I know I, know I had – yeah, okay. I was close, I think. Uh, but uh, I, I saw the stat. It was in passing. But uh, one of the times I checked in on this game, I saw this punt return. It was a thing of beauty. Uh, so that's one way Wisconsin can, can gain an edge right there, special teams. We, we always forget special teams. You know, they make big plays on special teams. That's a great equalizer. You can cut a team like Ohio State down really quick. You can cut that deficit 21-6 to really quick with a nice little kickoff return or punt return for a touchdown uh, and, and a quick one-touch score. And that, that kind of swings momentum, cuts, cuts into the lead, and, and really kind of puts you in good, good uh, I guess, good spirits and, and, and good momentum. So uh, that's one way you could do it. Uh, Horner Brook has just, just got to get going earlier. Uh, they've got to get the run game going. They've got to get Horner Brook some confidence early on with some quick passes and things like that to get his – the proverbial juice is flowing. He's not one of those quarterbacks that can come out fire. He's got to essentially wake up and warm up. And, and you can't do that by having him throw intermediate to deep passes early in the game when you can't run on first and second down. You know, you've got to get him going early. He's, a, he's, almost, he's almost the left-handed version of Jake Fromm. So uh, that's kind of – Jake Fromm's got a slightly stronger arm, but they're essentially the same cat. Uh, Jake Fromm can run a little bit better, I think, but essentially throwing the ball – Throwing wise, they're the same people. They've got to get, they've got to get flowing into the game. They've got to get. They're not these guys that can roll out there and start firing away. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but still, the Wisconsin defense, uh, it's going to keep them in every single game. And oh yeah, no the, the, the linebackers, no. especially again in this no. game, were truly outstanding. T.J. Edwards and Ryan Connolly, the two inside linebackers, have uh, stepped up so well. Um, because, you know, and also one reason because they've needed to because of, they've had injuries to Jack Sitchie, who was lost for the year during fall camp, and to uh, Chris Orr, who has been out the last couple weeks, uh, who's one of their other starting inside linebackers. But, man, TG, uh, the two, Edwards and Connolly, combined for 21 tackles and four tackles for a loss uh, in this one, and they were both just absolutely outstanding. They were everywhere, uh, completely bottling up both Karan Higdon and Chris Evans, uh, the two uh, main running backs there for the Wolverines. Um, so, Josh, you have any final thoughts here? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, let, let's keep moving on then. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, um, Josh already talked about uh, Perdon uh, beating Iowa. Um, Northwestern, uh, Northwestern uh, freaking brought down the hammer on the goofs. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, final score of, uh, what was it, 43 to nothing? 39 nothing something? 39 nothing. And uh, for. Northwestern, they get to six and two. Uh, that matches the best conference mark in the Fitzgerald era back in 2015. This is by far his best team since that 10 win club in 2012. Yeah, and they get uh, Illinois next week, which should be a win for them as well. Yeah, the six game, uh, or excuse me, the uh, the uh, yeah six game conference winning streak, the longest of the Fitzgerald era. They should be able to take out the trash that is Illinois, who's going to finish 0-9 in the conference. Well done, Lovey Smith. Uh, just a fantastic job by by this Northwestern team and a little bit of history. Justin Jackson eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark. He joins 
Mr. Ronald Day as the only Big Ten running back to go over a thousand yards all four years of his career. So this uh, this cast team is not just peaking at the right time, but they're playing some damn good football. Yeah, kudos to him. Um, and Penn State, uh, you know, a little closer than expected over Nebraska, still ends up winning 56 to 44. Uh, but I'd be a little bit worried when you give up 400 yards to Tanner Lee through the air. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly, this was a little bit of, hey, we're up 42 to 10 at halftime. Mm-hmm. I think it was just Penn State kind of taking their foot off the gas and, uh, I mean, I, I just attribute it to that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that. So, um, well, then let's move on to the Pac-12, where, uh, as we mentioned already, USC beat UCLA, which uh, led to the dismissal of uh, UCLA coach Jim Mora. But, uh, you know, that game itself, though, was, you know, that, that was a much more – that was a very competitive game. USC ends up winning 28-23, to uh, but – uh, you know, as has been the case many times this season, Josh Rosen has a great game, 421 yards and three scores uh, through the air, um, did throw an interception, but Sam Darnold, again, did not look fantastic, uh, 264 yards and a pick, no touchdowns. He did run for a touchdown. But UCLA as a team uh, only gave up uh, 153 yards on the ground and 3.7 yards per carry. And this is a team that was coming in ranked 130th in the country in rushing defense. So their rushing offense, though, did not help them very much. They had 31 carries for 80 yards, which is good for 2.6 per carry, which is uh, quite pitiful. So, um, uh, Josh, you know, why, why was USC able to win this game in the end? Well, the Bruins obviously sold out to, to stop the run. You know, you mentioned 153 yards on 41 carries. It wasn't the most efficient uh, running game, and, and UCLA knew that they had to stop their run with that pitiful run defense. And I think you were a little hard on Sam Darnold, honestly. You know, I'm not the biggest Sam Darnold fan, so it puts me in an awkward position to defend him. But, yeah, he had no touchdowns in the one pick, but 17-28, 264, 74.3 QBR. Uh, he did more than enough to get this Bruins team in the loss column, helped his Trojans win. Um, but, yeah, I, I was surprised it was closer than, than I thought it was going to be. But uh, good riddance to Jim Moore, that's all I can say. I never really liked him, never really liked his coaching style, and uh, can't really complain that he, he got fired. I don't think UCLA was going to go anywhere with him. And no time like the present to take out the trash. Uh, Coach, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I kind (laughs) of, you know, being a Falcons fan, Jim Moore Jr., one of his previous stops was the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, what he did (laughs) to completely mismanage Michael Vick and what what talent he had (laughs) in Michael Vick was was beyond – I was like, yeah, UCLA. I I don't know how it will translate to the college game. Maybe something will – change i don't know uh it looks like nothing has changed uh with with jim moore jr uh and i hate it for ucla because i've always had kind of a soft spot for ucla in in the fact that i've always kind of pulled for him never really been a huge fan of ucla um but i've always kind of pulled for him i've always you know been happy when they win and i really like josh rosen i think he's a i think he's a heck of a quarterback i think he did everything he possibly could to win, but that team is just so hapless and you can just see uh, the disorganization and just the overall uh, 
just the overall feel of that team. You never really thought they they were close on the scoreboard. Josh Rosen certainly had you believing, but when you looked at the rest of it, you really I really had no doubts that SC was going to win that game. All right. So. Yeah, um, you know, elsewhere in the conference, Washington needed a last-second field goal to beat Utah 33-30. Uh, and Stanford, as mentioned before, uh, beat Cal in the game 17-14. to um, But, you know, no real big upsets on the weekend uh, out of, coming out of the conference. So uh, let's head finally to the SEC, uh, where, um, you know, uh, Arkansas uh, completely blows – uh, a lead <laughs> Mississippi State. So, Coach, uh, what in the Sam hell is going on down there? They look like a disorganized mess. They couldn't. They couldn't stop st- stepping on their. You know what? <laughs> every time they, it seemed like every time something good would happen, they would commit some dumb penalty. They would turn the ball over. Or they would just. They would just have some covered. You could always guarantee that there was going to be some sort of bust, whether it be a penalty, covered bust, missed tackle, something. You knew it was going to happen. And you knew – and Mississippi State tried so hard to lose that game. They really did. They played like utter garbage until Arkansas until Arkansas finally just shoved the game into their hands and said, here, we do not want this. You take it. And Fitzgerald said, okay, I'll oblige. But um, they uh, – you know, Mississippi State made some plays down the stretch. Uh, that last drive was a thing of beauty for from Nick, Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, let him drove him right down the field. Just when you thought they were going to try to hold the ball and kick a field goal, they just ripped three or four inside zone runs, and they scored a brilliant touchdown. So, uh, but I mean, that just kind of tells you what Arkansas is right now. They're a horrible team, and Bert Bielema. Is going to be uh, if if you're looking for a head coach, he's available. Maybe one of these group of five schools can hire Burt Bielema. Uh, maybe he needs to get out of the bright lights of the SEC. But uh, the SEC has swallowed him up, chewed him up, and spit him right back out. Uh, maybe he needs to go back to the Big Ten. Maybe maybe Illinois will be a good fit for him, <laughs> uh, or Purdue when uh, when Jeff Brom leaves. Uh, Anything to add here? I mean, you guys are totally bearing the lead. You guys are lost in the weeds on breaking down this Arkansas team. Uh, first of all, they outplayed Mississippi State for 55 minutes. Unfortunately, it's a 60-minute game. Uh, they only allowed Mississippi State to have seven more first downs than them. Our Arkansas, uh, a mediocre performance on third down. I'll, I'll concede that, just three of 11. But they were super efficient passing the ball, 12 of 18 for 124 yards. I mean, how do you not like that 6.9 yards? per pass average. Arkansas almost had 100 rushing yards. Let's give some credit there. A very efficient Woody Hazel like this, three cloud, three yards in a cloud of dust. Arkansas, 2.9 yards per rush. Perfect. That's right in that gravy zone. You do that three times, you almost get a first down. So well done, Arkansas, there. Uh, they almost one time of possession. They just trailed it by uh, seven minutes. Uh, and uh, turnover margin, hey, plus one. They forced Mississippi State into two lost fumbles. Arkansas only lost one fumble. Well done. Uh, hats off to Arkansas. They played a brilliant game plan. I loved every minute of it. Uh, Brett Bielema's got the boys right where they want them. Uh, they're a second-half team. They're 
you know, it's a 20 game season. So don't bother that they're four and seven right now, one and six in conference. They'll, they'll get them in the second half. Just, just wait for it. All right. Well, uh, elsewhere in the conference, uh, LSU took care of Tennessee, uh, a Brady Hoke-led Tennessee, I should say, 30-10. to 10. And I, I must say, as, as hapless as that score seems to be, because there's two programs' trajectories that are going opposite directions, Tennessee played really hard last night. The crowd was into it. I've never seen a team that's winless in conference able to draw 90,000 fans. It was uh, they, they played a lot harder than they had. In the, in the last few weeks. So it's obvious that Butch Jones was kind of the, the catalyst that I think they were ready for him to go. Um, and then finally, Mizzou with a, another offensive explosion, winning uh, here in Nashville against Vandy, 45-17. Uh, Coach, early in the season, Mizzou looked absolutely awful, and now they're going bowling. Yeah, they, they were a team that I thought was going to be in Tennessee shoes where they go winless in conference fire their coach and see you later. But they they turned it on. I mean, Drew Locke is a talented quarterback. They, they've done a lot of good things on defense. They found some discipline, which is probably the biggest key. They've made boneheaded mistakes, catastrophic mistakes early in the season. They seemingly cleaned all of that up, and now they're just lighting the SEC on fire. All right. Well, I think – Yeah, that I mean, was- Drew, Drew Locke has just totally, totally been in the zone – uh, when they lost those five games, uh, they opened with a win over Missouri State and then dropped the next five. Uh, he just couldn't get on track. The passing game was terrible. He had a couple games in the 40% completion range, uh, but he's turned it on. Here are his last uh, five games uh, stats-wise. Idaho, 23 of 33, 467. At Connecticut, 31 of 377. Uh, six touchdowns against Idaho, five against Connecticut to just one interception. And then Florida, 15 to 20, 228, three touchdowns. Tennessee, 13 to 28, 217, four touchdowns, one interception. Vanderbilt, 10 to 25, his worst game. Yet 235 yards on those 10 completions, along with 71, uh, three touchdowns, and then more importantly, zero picks. Uh, he has been just lights out, got them to a bowl game, and not just a bowl game, but they have a good chance to improve on their bowl position. They head to that red-hot Arkansas team next week. That's going to be a fun one. Arkansas still in contention for a bowl game. Remember, if they win it and their graduation rate is good enough, they'll be 5-7 and seven and they can go to a bowl game. So a lot on the line in that one. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that is going to do it here for us today. Uh, any final thoughts on Week 12, Josh? Uh, no, I'm just glad that my friend is a diehard Arkansas fan has the same sense of humor as the rest of us, and he he's told me he is not offended by our sarcastic Arkansas coverage. So we're keeping that bit up for you. Uh, Mitch, this is a shout-out to you, and uh, that's the only reason we've been giving Arkansas so much attention is we have a listener who really likes it. So hopefully people are enjoying it as much as he is. Coach, any final words from you? Yeah, uh Fitting that Texas A&M's rally would be uh, would be uh, capped by a pick six after they've been <laughs> such maligned on defense. A uh, pick six was the uh, was the go ahead score, and they stayed ahead uh, to to win thirty one twenty one twenty four over Ole Miss. So uh, seven and four, they're going to have a tough decision to make, especially if they win next week. As far as uh, Kevin Sumlin's fate, so 
stay tuned to Aggie land. All right. Well, uh, I do, I do have a real shout out, honestly, Matt, um, Oregon defense, Jim Levitt, you know, I love him. They found a way to bottle up Khalil Tate, just 32 rushing yards, 159 passing yards. They picked him off twice, held Arizona to 28 points, huge win for Willie Taggart and the Ducks uh, to get to bowl eligibility. They have the civil war next. They should drop Oregon state like a sack of potatoes to get their seventh win and finish four and five in conference. Uh, not a terrible first season considering how bleak it looked at times earlier in the year, but Oregon uh, finishing strong. Uh, and I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Georgia Southern Eagles finally getting off the schneid in a big way with their first victory of the year, 52 nothing over South Alabama. Mm. So um, that is going to do, a, do it for us here today on Illegal Motion. So uh, on behalf of the coach here in the Music City, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Counting, Josh Cook, up in Chicago, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Peace! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.